picture yourself back in the first century temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is in Israel, and this is the house of worship for God's people. They came, they worshiped God in that place. And there was a place within the temple, there was a treasury box, and people would come and they would put money in it. And so one day during Jesus' time here on earth, he's hanging out at the temple with his disciples, the group of followers that were learning from him, following him, hanging out with him. Um, And so they were sitting there, and they were watching people come in. And so they're they're watching this scene at the box. And there's, you can imagine sort of like this sort of big box sitting in the middle of the courtyard there. And there's this red carpet sort of lined up from there down to the road. And hanging around the box are all of these paparazzi, okay? And they've got their cameras out, and they're waiting for people to come and for the big wigs to come and all of the famous people. On reflection, some of the elements of this story may not be entirely historically accurate. But that's okay, we'll push it. So anyway, we're sitting there. Uh, Jesus is hanging out. The disciples are just kind of sitting around looking bored. And as they're sitting around wondering why they're even there, there's this kind of thumping noise in the distance. And it gets louder and louder and louder, and then you hear this huge engine of a sports car come rushing up the road and parks right outside the curb, okay? And immediately, the cameras start wearing, the paparazzi are taking photos, and out pops this movie star, and he's like, you know, doing hi, everybody. He's kind of making a big show for all of the cameras, and he kind of saunters up the red carpet, and he gets up to the, the box there. He pulls out his wallet, opens it up, pulls out a crisp $100 bill, and he leans over to put it in, and he kind of looks across at one of the cameras winks, and then dumps a huge wad of cash from his wallet into the box. Mike drops the the wallet and heads on back. Everybody explodes. They're cheering, they're laughing, they're hollering. This is awesome. What a moment. Cameras are going. Everybody's like, oh, this is crazy. The disciples are like, oh, did you see that? Turn to Jesus like, come on, did you see that? Jesus kind of folds his arm, shakes his head. The disciples are like, are you kidding me? Like, did you not see what just happened? But their thoughts are interrupted by another car rolling up to the curb. This one is a limousine, nice black long limousine. And it rolls up, the door opens, and out steps this businessman. Top to toe, fully tailored, just looking absolutely the part, beautiful suit, shiny shoes. He walks up and he kind of looks at the cameras with this sort of disinterested, you're below me look. And then he clicks his fingers. Out pops two bodyguards, sunglasses and all, and they're holding this huge sort of gimmicky check. You know the ones you see on the TV shows and the game shows and stuff? And they walk that up to the box. And as they're walking it up, everyone notices that on this check is written a one and a lot of zeros. And everyone's like, and so the guys are trying to wedge this check into the box there, and they head on back into the car, and the guy just kind of gives a little nod, gets back in his car, and it drives off. Everybody is aghast. Their drawers are on the floor. The disciples are like, did you see how much money was on that check? They look at Jesus. Another shake of the head. 
They're like, are you kidding me? But again, their thoughts are interrupted because from above is a thunderous noise of a helicopter coming in. And it comes right down above the temple there. This little rope ladder falls down and out pops this tech magnet. You know, this 30-year-old billionaire, you know the type. He spent a lot of time and effort trying to look like he doesn't care what he looks like, you know. And so he slides down the ladder. And he's got a hose in one arm, this hose is connected off to the uh, sort of the hold of the helicopter. And so he gets to the bottom, he turns on the hose, and a torrent of gold coins comes out. I mean, it's like a fire hose pouring into the box. And it fills up and overflows, and there's like an avalanche of gold coins. People are running to get out of the way. And again, the crowd erupts. They're just exploded. It's awesome. He kind of gives a little salute, and the helicopter flies off, and the disciples are just like this is incredible, and they turn to Jesus. Like, did you see that? But Jesus isn't paying attention to them. Jesus has seen something. His eyes are glued into the scene. And the disciples are like, what is he, what is he looking at? And then they see her too. This old woman, pushing her way through the crowd. She's on her little walker. She's moving like, you know, 10 inches a minute sort of thing, you know, and she's, she's struggling her way through the crowd. Excuse me, dear. Excuse me. Can you get out of the way? Excuse me, dear. You know, making her way slowly, slowly, slowly up to the box. And as she's walking up with every step, Jesus' eyes grow wider. And he's watching her. And he is wrapped with this scene. No one else is paying any attention to her. Cameras are all, cameramen are all looking through their photos. They're kind of like, yeah, what's this woman doing in the way? Waiting for the next big wig to show up. But here she goes, slowly up to the box. She gets up to the box, pulls out a fake crocodile skin purse, unclasps it, looks inside, pulls out the only contents of the purse, a little 50 cent coin. She looks at this coin. She looks over to her left to a hot dog stand over there with a sign that says, hot dogs half price today, 50 cents only. Stomach growls a little bit. She hasn't eaten in a little while. She looks at the coin. As she looks at that coin, Jesus is looking at her. And by now the disciples are seeing this too. There's all sorts of hubbub and noise around the box. No one really cares about her, but a pin, you could hear a pin drop from the disciples group. And they're watching her. She looks at the coin, closes her eyes, mutters something that no one can hear, drops it in the box, and shuffles back down the carpet. And Jesus turns around, looks at his disciples, nods. He says to them, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. You guys heard that story before? My version, a little less accurate than the Bible's version, but it is in the Bible. It is a true story. And as I think about it, I'm like, that's a hard story, right? That's a hard 
story to hear. I mean, this woman gave her last bit of money. What kind of person puts their last bit of money in the offering? I mean, honestly, it's hard to think about. We're doing a series at the moment called Financial Freedom. Uh, We're looking at the way Jesus has guiding us towards being free with our money, to, to not being caught up and imprisoned by finances. And yet as we listen to the story, it feels like this woman has just closed the prison door in front of her and thrown the key where she can't reach it. Like she is now more imprisoned by her financial problems than ever, right? When she gave all the money away, she's got nothing. What is she going to live on? We don't get that part of the story. We don't know what happens when she went back home. She had nothing. That seems like a pretty stressful, pretty imprisoning financial situation, yeah? But in fact, it's the opposite. As it is, this story actually stands as one of the most financially intelligent moves in the pages of the Bible. No one has done anything quite as smart as that for living freedom in their finances. We've been looking at different attitudes that we have towards money. We mentioned in the first part of the series, even before last lockdown, uh, where in this arena of finances, it's really not about money. Our freedom or our sort of difficulties with, with money is not really about the actual money. It's about the attitudes that we have towards our money. And we've been looking at these different contrasting attitudes, you know, ownership versus stewardship. We talked about that one. Last week, we talked about greed versus, anyone remember? Oh, I'm putting on the spot now. I wouldn't remember. It's contentment, right. <laughs> I was just paying, pay attention. All right. So we were looking at those things. Today, we're looking at probably the most personal, the most emotionally difficult one of them all. Worry versus trust. Worry versus trust. How many of you have ever worried about money? Okay. If you did not put your hand up, I have questions. <laughs> We've all worried about money. Money is something that we often worry about. And so that becomes a very relevant thing for us to talk about, doesn't it? And the opposite, Jesus says, of worry is not figuring it out. It is not getting enough. It's trust. And I'll tell you what, that old widow showed us what trust looks like, didn't she? I want to read another passage uh, that Jesus is teaching. He, he's talking about money and possessions, and he talked about this rich farmer who was like, bought all of these barns and stuff because he's done really well with the harvest. He's like, I'm just going to store all of this up, and I'm going to enjoy my life. Early retirement, everything's going to be fine. God says, no, actually, you're an idiot because you're going to die tonight. Uh, you didn't know that. I did. And you were not rich towards me. You just were rich towards yourself. Now you've got nothing. And, you know, that's foolishness. So instead of, you know, gaining positions, Jesus says, be rich towards God. Anyway, so he's telling this to the crowd. But then he turns to his disciples. Okay, these are his followers. These are his people who he kind of senses should know who God is. 
right? This, in a sense, an extension, he's talking to Christians. So if you are here this morning, you consider yourself a Christian, he's talking to you. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, that's fine. This is a good thing for you to hear, to listen, to explore about what God would say on this subject. Little faith. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything that you need. We may be familiar with this passage. He's said something very similar in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Very interesting sort of passage. It's one that kind of sounds really nice when you read it, but then when you actually dig into it, it gets a little bit harder to sort of take on. So I want to explore this a little bit. I want to explore it as kind of like this paper that he's presenting to us. Jesus is kind of presenting his argument about worry. And he's presenting it in a few different ways to, for different people in the way that we sort of learn. But he gives us a thesis at the beginning. He says in verse... Um, sorry, yeah. Let me go. The thesis is that Christians should not worry about the necessities of life. Catch that? Christians should not be worried about the necessities of life. Now, he says exactly that. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. He says, because life is more than what you eat. And your body is more than your clothing meaning there is more at play here. And I've got stuff for you to do, and I've got a life for you to live that is going to be powerful and impactful and part of my biggest story that has been going on since the creation of the world and is going to continue on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So all of that going on, you're part of that story. Don't worry about these little things. You've got other things to worry about. You've got other things to think about. So I want to sort of look at a second for what worry is. Like, what do we mean by worry? Because we all have little sort of concerns about things, right? You know, I'm worried that my package is not going to arrive by Monday, or I'm worried that the wallabies are going to get so incensed at what we did to them that they're going to come back with too much of a vengeance. You know, things like this. We have our little natural concerns. But the real problem comes with worry is when it starts interrupting our connection with God. Think about this. Think about the way that worry has played out in your life, because we all know it has, especially with money, especially with finances. When we worry about money and we're worried about sort of how things are going to all fit together, okay, there's, there's some naturalness to that. But then sometimes that worry starts to consume, doesn't it? It starts taking up more than its fair share of time and space in your mind and in your heart. And sometimes your prayers start getting muddled up with this worry. And sometimes your worship becomes a little muted because of your worry. Or your stress starts to actually eat away at your physicalness, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being. 
We know this is what worry does. And this is what he's saying. This is what we need to eject from our lives. And then he gives us some evidence. Because Jesus is smart. He knows that we have different ways of sort of thinking about things. And so he gives us different types of evidence for us to sort of think about. The first is the sort of emotional. You know, we're kind of, some people are emotional thinkers, right? We think by our emotions. And so he says, worry ignores your treasured status. Don't miss this part. He says, look at the ravens. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't build barns, they don't put any work into it, they fly around, they pull bugs out of the earth. That's all they do. They just kind of do their thing. Yet God feeds them. God cares about them. You know, there's an abundance of worms for the birds to eat. No problems. No shopping lines, no food shortages for them, unless we kind of start messing things up for them. But generally speaking, they're doing all right. And he says, do you think you are worth more or less than a raven? Do you think you are worth more or less than a bird? I don't want to actually answer that question for you because I think that's a question we need to answer for ourselves. Emotionally speaking, sometimes we don't think very highly of ourselves and worry feeds off that. I worry about my finances because I'm not good enough to provide for my family. I worry about my finances because I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not good enough. Blah, 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 blah. This verse in Psalm 8 may cause some problems for you then. Because David looks up at the heavens and he says, who, who, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. We get that part. We're on board with this thinking there. And he says, Yet... You've made them, me, us, only a little lower than God. You've crowned us with glory, with honor. We're your treasured possession. So remember that you are treasured. Worry is going to interrupt that feeling, that concept, that idea. He gives us some more evidence. This kind of lends itself towards our basic common sense idea. In fact, that's exactly what it is. It says, worry ignores basic common sense. And that's simply this. Jesus says, can your worries add a single moment to your life? Quick poll. How many of you, through worrying, have added an extra minute to your day? A dollar into your bank account? Nothing? No? Me neither. Ha-ha. Of course, it's silly logically, worry achieves nothing. So if you are a logical thinker, if you are one of those people that kind of sees A's and B's and C's in line, then this should make sense to you. Why are you worrying about something you cannot change? Now, can you work for your money? Sure. Can you put your effort in and do all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. But worrying is not going to help. This is a philosophical thinker. This is no longer working. Katie, I'm going to need your help. If you pop across to the next two. Next one. Beautiful. Hey, that's lovely. Love it. If you're a philosophical person or a faith-based person, 
faith is probably a better way of thinking about this. If you, your spiritual connection is, is kind of the way that you process the world, think of it this way. Jesus is saying worry ignores the existence of God. He puts it this way. Next slide, please. He says, don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about these things. Why? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Or another translation, they chase after them. Why? Because they have no other logical reason not to. It's up to them. If you don't believe in God, then what you have to offer is it. You've got to go and work. You've got to make sure it happens. You can worry because it's on you. If you can't put it together, then it's not going to get put together. Maybe you have some friends. Great. If not, then you're kind of stuffed. But we don't believe that, right? If we are Christians, there is a different way of seeing this. And he is saying, look, I'm here. You know, let the unbelievers worry about stuff like that because they have no reason not to. We have a reason not to worry. He says, because look, I made this world. I've got it under control. If you believe that I am who I say that I am, and that's a big question. If you believe that I am who I say that I am, why would you worry about something that is so easy for me? So his conclusion, verse 28, is really, if you go on to the next one, worry is a lack of faith. That one stings a little bit. Worry is a lack of faith. We don't like that because oftentimes we think of worry as like this sort of emotional thing that we have. We always could have sort of put a, a victim concept around worry. Like, I'm worried. I'm just worried. This is just how I am. I'm just worried about this. And that, that's kind of true. But at the same time, there is a correlation between that worry and our faith. Listen to what he says in verse 28. Next slide here. If God cares so wonderfully for the flowers, again, he brings this example, here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And then he asks this really horrible question. Why do you have so little faith? Faith and worry are on opposite ends of a spectrum. Have a look at this. The more worry you have, the less faith is playing into it. The more faith that you have, the less worry you're going to have. Now, pause, caveat. This sounds starting to sound a little bit like if you just believe God will give you whatever you need, like whatever you want. Like if, if you're poor, that means you don't have faith. And if you're rich, that means you do have faith. Not at all. Not at all. Again, please listen to the words of need, not want, not more or less, but he will look after what you need. Second thing, I don't want this to come across like, hey, I'm awesome. I have lots of faith. I don't worry. Uh, you guys are terrible people because you're worrying and you don't have any faith. That's not the story here. Jesus is not telling the story so that we will feel horrible about our lack of faith. What he is doing is he is encouraging us to see ourselves for who we really are and to move us along this spectrum, to guide us into that space where faith takes more control, where we have more faith, when we think about who God is, how he can help us, and move us up into the space. 
The other issue that we may have is that um, you may be saying it's very easy perhaps for me to say this, and I'm very mindful, especially in today's sort of social cultural climate, that a white man standing, who grew up in the North Shore standing here and telling everybody that they shouldn't worry about money may come across as a little bit off. Fair enough. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the life God has given me, but I, I understand that I have not come across a lot of those really desperate situations that other people may have. But I want to tell you a story. This is a story about my journey with this, and I'm not telling the story because I want you to think I'm awesome or that I'm tooting my own horn. I only want to tell the story to show how God has worked through this issue in my life. Fair enough? So I, I uh, church planter, obviously, and um, one of the things that we need to do to start a church is to go and fundraise. And so this, I've never been good at fundraising. I hate it. Because going and asking people, people for money, just, yeah, anyway. So I go over to the States because there's a lot of churches that I know from my time, <clears throat> my education in the States. So I, I made some connections. And there's a lot of churches in the States who are really interested in seeing churches like ours get started and get going. So I'm going around and I'm doing this fundraising. And um, we, we're working really hard and I'm sending things out and I'm trying and trying and trying. And it's just not coming together. It is really, it's like pulling teeth. And like I'm sitting, I, I've got about halfway through my six months, and I'm sitting at about 17% of what I needed, not even enough to rent a place to live, okay? This is the situation, what it was. And I had to start making decisions about whether I'm going to push out my fundraising even further or buy a ticket to go home in three months, not knowing how this is going, but knowing that it's not going great. And this was going to affect other people as well. And so during my times talking with God and reading, he had me reading through the Old Testament and the way that he just did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, including the one Nate was talking about uh, coming out of Egypt. And he's talking to his people and he's saying, remember, remember how I looked after you. Remember that. And I started thinking, even in my own life, God has always looked after me. He's always taking care of me. He, he's in control of this thing. And so I really, really felt like God was saying, go all in on faith, buy your ticket home. 17% fundraising, this is what I had. 17%. And so I did. That was my act of trust in him. And I'm here. I have what I need. I've never hit 100% of my fundraising in my life. <laughs> but thanks to the, the gifts and the offerings and stuff like that, I have the salary that I need to live off and to, to do what I need to do. He has provided. The other reason I want to kind of talk about some of this stuff is because it's, sometimes it seems like God puts us in very difficult situations. It's not a trajectory of when I have faith, things go well, and when I don't have faith, things go badly. That's not the way God works. Because sometimes God allows difficult situations to exist. This woman, this old widow, is a perfect example in the story. I mean, she's lost her husband, and in that time and place, that means that's almost a death sentence for her. Unless she's got sons who are going to look after her, which the story doesn't talk about, but she's clearly very poor. <laughs> clearly things have not gone well. Clearly she has faith. So why was she even in that space in the first place? Why was she down to her last couple of pennies? 
We don't know. We don't know. But God gets us into those places sometimes. But he always gives us what we need. I wanted to, um, I wanted Nate to tell the story um, based, I wanted him to tell the story of Joe Jay, and we're, we're going to wrap this up here in a second because I see the kids have come in. Um, so I wanted to tell the story of Joe Jay because not only does it show a man who has made a faith statement, right, who didn't know how this was going to happen, didn't know how it was all going to work, but he had faith. But it also shows the other side of that coin. And it shows the mechanism through which God provides. Yeah? Do you know what that mechanism is? It's called the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. He will give you everything you need. And he uses that kingdom to provide the needs. When we zoom in on the situations, like our situation where we're worried or situations that we hear about, we see a situation of desperation and miracle, perhaps, if, if God comes through. And it's wonderful. But when we zoom out, we see something a little different. What we see is God sitting at his chessboard with all of his pieces out in front of him. And he sees that this bishop over here is having some real struggles. And so he moves his knight from over here to intercept and to provide some support. Bishop doesn't know it. Bishop may even never see it. I'm not sure if Joe ever even knew what had happened. He certainly didn't until after the fact. But God knew. So when we zoom out, we can see this is not arbitrary blind faith. This is not just hope against hope that God... I don't know how this is going to work. We see God at work using his pieces and using his people to help other people. This means something because not only does it mean that we need to have faith and to trust God when we're struggling, it also means we need to have faith and be open and listening and trusting God when he says, actually, I need you to come in and help. There was faith when the person gave $50,000 to the trust. Had no idea what that was going to go towards. No idea why, perhaps. Other than God says, yeah, I want you to do that. God's moving his pieces. So here's my recommendation. I want you to see the system. See the kingdom at work. We are part of a family, a group of people, that when you are worried about your financial situation, know that there are others who can be helping. God's got a whole family of people around the world to help. And then think about how God may be asking us to be part of that system. Does that make sense? All right. I've gone far too long. We've got kids coming in. Let me pray for us as we uh, finish out. Lord, we worry. You know we do. You know I do worry about all sorts of different things. And, and this is about money this week, but Lord, we know this applies to all sorts of different subjects. And we thank you for grace because it is, in a way, when we worry and we stress about things, it is a way an insult to who you are as a God, as, as, as in control, that we're either not trusting you or we're, we've gone off in the wrong direction as far as what's important. 
but you just still love us. And you gather us in and you say, don't worry, I'm right here. And you help us, even when we don't deserve it. So thank you. Thank you for the community you've built to, to draw us in, to help each other, and to, to give guidance and help. It's in your name we pray. Amen.